Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook and everyone's favourite international football expert, the lovely Kevin Hatchard. On today's pod, top tactical tweaker Ten Hag does it again. Manchester United celebrate victory, but there's already a few warnings to the squad not to get complacent. Casemiro the king as the Wembley crown is laid on his head. Experience winning the day, really. Chelsea churn out another poor performance in the Premier League. Feeble Forest get hammered. It's as you were at the top and lacklustre Liverpool drew nil-nil away at... Hold on. Okay, hold on. Oh, I can't remember. It was instantly forgettable. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Crook, what a day. Wembley was buzzing yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, it looked like it from Dancing on Ice. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, you're not there. Sorry, because it was so busy. There were so many people there. I was hobnobbing with so many different Manchester United faces. I just wondered, I just assumed that you would be in a seat somewhere up high. You usually just get yourself into these things. Were you, did you not manage to? No, I had to uh, fill in for a friend of mine and, uh, you know, make sure that the, the, the good ship Bovingdon continued to sail. Uh, and did you feel all right watching the cup final from afar or were you jumping around in your seat, falling off your ice skates as you were doing uh, I was so? jumping around in my dressing room, absolutely. Um, it, it went exactly as I hoped, uh, tune it up early on, get the game won and then I could focus on uh, making sure I didn't mess up live on TV. Oh, Kev, I tell you what, there was so many people uh, discussing Crook's absence in the uh, press room at Wembley yesterday. Adrian Durham was getting the picture of Crook in his dressing room at Dancing on Ice and sharing it around to everyone saying, look, he calls himself a Manchester United (laughs) fan and look where he is on cup final day. They haven't won anything for six years and look where he's residing whilst we're all at Wembley. Call himself a proper football man, he says. Um, uh, Kev, you all right? Did you have a good weekend? Uh, I did. Uh, Watching Liverpool uh, sullied it slightly, uh, but lots of good Bundesliga over the weekend. And uh, yeah, I I thought there was some... I was obviously very disappointed from a Liverpool perspective of Manchester United winning a trophy, but I have to have a huge (laughs) amount of respect for what Ten Hag's done in in a short space of time. And I think we said at the start of the season, we felt that he was an excellent coach. There was no question about that. It was about whether he'd get the authority, which previous coaches hadn't had. He's absolutely got that now. Uh, yeah, um, a great uh, Bundesliga action this weekend, in fact, wasn't it? Because uh, Hertha Berlin, the mighty Hertha Berlin, uh, beat Augsburg uh, by two goals to nil. Dodi uh, Lukabakia scored. Um, I don't think that many people watching that game knew how Hertha Berlin managed to win it, but they did. 
Uh, so that was that, that's all that matters in the relegation rate at the bottom of the Bundesliga. And that's for another day. Um, the EFL always run things really well and the cup final was brilliantly run, as you would expect. I had a brilliant time, to be honest with you. I, I, I needed the pep up of the cup final after watching what was a terrible performance by Chelsea once again, an insipid performance by Chelsea once again at Tottenham. But before we get into that, let's get into the machinations and the tactics of the weekend's biggest game, the Carabao Cup final, the 63rd League Cup final, which ended in victory for Manchester United. A Sunday service like no other. A day to savour for two teams worshipping their teams at football's great cathedral. Marcus Rashford, red hot. It's once again on the score sheet. Manchester United have a two-goal lead. And that is it. It is over. Once again, it is glory, glory, Manchester United. Harry Maguire and Bruno Fernandes grab hold of the Carabao Cup. And Manchester United have silverware in their hands again. Manchester United win their first trophy since 2017, thanks in no small part to the man that Crook has affectionately named the Little Bored Genius. Do you think he likes that nickname? I think he loves it. And uh, I think he lived up to it uh, at the weekend to, to produce that kind of tactical discipline from a team that had just beaten Barcelona literally the day before the cup final, felt like it anyway, and to make the changes that he did in the second half. Listen, I think he's the best thing that's happened to Manchester United for a decade. I think he's... An, absolute magician. They weren't the best team in the first half, though, were they? Probably not. Uh, Newcastle had opportunities. Uh, I think the goal line clearance was um, a big factor, but they were ruthless with the chances that that did come their way. And uh, ultimately, I think Ten Hag's winning mentality won the day. You're giving that uh, goal to Rashford, Kev, or uh, is Sven Botman going to be labelled with the own goal I think it should be Rashford's goal. And I thought the, the... criticism of carriers from some quarters not all was disgraceful I think there was a determination for him to have made some kind of error and I don't think any goalkeeper could have got his hands up for that it was a big deflection Uh, again it just shows Rashford's confidence because yeah it wasn't the cleanest hit but he was in there where it mattered great run in behind and they were clinical and Newcastle weren't and that's what it came down to in the end He's become an assassin, hasn't yeah, he, Rashford? Um, He's become a, a stone-cold killer. Yeah, which he didn't have beforehand. And uh, he's also demanding of the other players around him as well. They know they have to feed him. I don't know whether he's been part of that or whether that's something that Eric Ten Hag has sort of enforced with this team, that they must feed him. They must service his needs. Because there was a time when he was making these brilliant runs in behind and no one was spotting him. And he wouldn't say anything about it. He would just sort of go, okay, all right, and go back to the halfway line. Whereas now I feel as if he's demanding the ball, his performances demand the service that he's now getting from his Manchester United colleagues. And you need that, don't you? Um, I I must admit, I did not want Loris Carriers to fail for two reasons. Because you made him cry. One, because I made him cry. All right, three reasons. Um, One, because I made him cry. Two, because his partner nearly made me cry when I read a letter from her to him pre-match. It was heartbreaking about how the career that he wanted had been snatched away from him and all this sort of emotional reflections on his life post-Kiev and before Wembley. And three, because I'd backed him uh, for the Man of the Match award at 11 to 1. I just thought it was written in the stars. It didn't turn out that way. But anyway, I you're thought it was romantic. Good value. Um, 
Um, in, in terms of Newcastle's performance, Kevin, I think they'll be slightly disappointed that they had so much of the ball, had so much control of the game, yet couldn't carve out proper clear-cut chances. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to Manchester United's performance, the way they defended the edge of the box. They were very streetwise. They had lots of good positions. Alan San Maximan was probably the perfect example of Newcastle's day, actually, because he had lots of good positions, lots of nice moments in tight areas. But that final cross, that final pass, that final shot just wasn't quite there for Newcastle. I do think it's a big issue for them. That's the next piece of the puzzle for them. We know they can set up defensively, just need a bit more room for an attack, and I'm sure that will come. 400 million quid more the Manchester United squad cost to put together Crook. I mean, does that just show how far Newcastle got to come over the course of the next uh, few years if they want to be regular Champions League competitors? Yeah, maybe, because they're ahead of schedule. You know, they wouldn't have expected to be competing in, in cup finals and challenging for the top four this season. The, the worry for me, if, if I was a Newcastle fan, would be what happens now? You know, do they do they find some momentum in the Premier League they've lost leading up to this cup final? Or do they fall tamely out of the Champions League race. I'm going to have to say, I think it could be the latter. Kev's mentioned Sam Maximan. I'll go back to the little bold genius. The change that he made at half-time, bringing on Wan-Bissaka, absolutely killed Newcastle on that left-hand side. Wan-Bissaka was sensational in that second half. It was a, a, a bold call to start Dallow in the first place. The yellow card obviously came into Ten Hag's thinking, but that's another example of where he's just one step ahead and he, he regularly makes changes at, at half-time and they regularly pay dividends. It's what we said last week on the on the podcast. It's something I've been saying for a long time. He is the top tactical tweaker. He just does little things in matches, makes key decisions, bold decisions at times, which change the nature of a game. Wrestles control back to Manchester United when they have or could be losing it. And that is what makes him such a success. How are you going to celebrate this first trophy in six years? What are you going to do to sort of commemorate it? Because I've got a feeling that you're starting to fall in love with Eric. <laughs> So I wonder whether or not, now you've gone halfway, you've got the facial hair, you've got the roll neck. Could we tempt you to going full ball? Could we do that? To pay homage to... to Absolutely not. I I celebrated, as I always do celebrate, a United trophy. As you'll know, Sam, from the Champions League final in Moscow, I purchased a very expensive bottle of champagne. But your version of very expensive bottle of champagne is a thirty-five bottle of a thirty-five pound bottle of Moet and Chandon, right? <laughs> Not in this hotel. <laughs> Just a bottle of champagne. It's not an expensive bottle. It's just any bottle of champagne, isn't it? Don't lie. <laughs> but it's whatever you can get your hands. But no, on. I won't be shaving the head just yet. But it, I, I run out of superlatives, you know. And, and who knows? Is this the start of a quadruple? Of course it isn't. But <laughs> it could be. You mentioned about the momentum, about the um, what happens to. To, to Newcastle here. They've got Manchester City next, Kev. I mean, it's not going to be easy. No, it? it's not. Uh, and again, it comes down to turning draws into wins. That's been a big problem for them. They've got great individual talent. Almirano thought had some decent runs in the game, but faded as it went on. But it's just getting enough service to Callum Wilson. I thought Isaac played okay, but he doesn't quite look the same since the injury. That's going to take time for him to settle down. Wilson's not been the same since the World Cup No, No, and he did find it really, really difficult to actually stamp his authority on the game. That that was the thing. One goal in twelve matches. That's not what you need, is it? When you're when you're trying to fight for the champion. No, you need you need a, a fifteen twenty goal a season scorer, and they don't have that right now. Uh, and they're not the only club who are struggling with that. Chelsea, I'm sure, will come on to. But they are ahead of schedule. 
Crookie's absolutely right. You know, we didn't expect them to be at this point. They've done it in quite a controlled, careful way. But the hardest thing is is finding goal scorers and finding a way. It's all very well setting up and being defensive to then open the game out and take those risks that you need to score goals on a regular basis. That's the hardest bit. So that's the next challenge, I think, for Eddie Howe. Just one on Manchester United in terms of the changes with Eric Ten Hag. He deserves massive credit for that, but it's partially about squad depth. It's partially about having guys ready to go. And Wan-Bissaka is a perfect example of that because what you've got with him is a specialist. So if you're in a situation where you need to lock down a side, bring him on and he can do that. And Ten Hag, I think, has focused on what players can do instead of what they can't. And I think coaches fall into that trap sometimes of desperately trying to work on what players can't do instead of celebrating what they actually can. Sam, you mentioned your man of the match bet. Who did get man of the match? Because I thought Luke Shaw was, was outstanding. The, the cross for the goal, Casemiro. defensive performance. Ca- I mean, Casemiro. For a steady Eddie, you know, he's quietly turning into quite a decent footballer, isn't he, Casemiro? <laughs> for a steady Eddie? <laughs> Just quoting our great friend Graham Tunes. Bit more than that. <laughs> I think he's a little bit more than that. And his medal collection sort of shows it. Um, I, what I thought was really good was this. I mean, the, the two things that I should highlight is the celebrations. How like the Manchester United players really embraced it. Something that Eric Ten Hag, and this is underrated, has really put into this group is this sense of camaraderie, togetherness, working together to make the best of opportunities and 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 using that sort of cohesiveness and that that team spirit to get them over the line at times. And that came out in the celebrations. Varane's won a World Cup, but you should have seen yeah. him celebrate after the fact that he just won the League Cup in England. Casemiro has got more medals than I've had hot dinners, but ultimately winning this meant a lot to him. Obviously, it meant a lot to Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford, whose memories of, uh, of Wembley have been tainted over the last couple of years. But to see some of those serial winners really embrace the victory in the League Cup just sort of showed how relevant it was. And on the flip side of that, the supporters, the Newcastle fans that flooded London, and I'm talking flooded London, literally the River Thames was black and white by the time they left on Sunday morning. It was Sunday, Monday morning. It was absolutely full of Newcastle supporters. And they went out in Trafalgar Square on Saturday night. They took it over. They cleaned up after themselves, so I hear, which is pretty impressive. Then on Sunday, they turned up in their droves at Wembley and it was just a beautiful sign. The way they celebrated before and after was terrific. They stuck with their team as their team stuck with the game. And then the Manchester United fans absolutely loved it as well. Everybody wanted to be there yesterday. It was terrific. And when you've got a big team that are used to going to finals, that's not always the case, but it certainly was yesterday. Very, very. And, and did it underline the importance as well that the EFL Cup still possesses? Um, and actually, I think that's been shown yeah. over the years by how seriously Pep Guardiola has taken it. I think I'm right in saying it was Jose Mourinho's first trophy uh, in English football. I think it's a brilliant competition. And listen, Manchester United fans are used to going to Wembley. I know they've not won a trophy for six years, but what they don't do, they don't take it for granted. And, and watching on television, uh, as, as loud and vibrant as the Newcastle fans were, the United fans more than matched them and more than played their part. And even two minutes into injury time, they started singing about the Glazers. Uh, so don't uh, try and pretend that just because they're winning stuff, they, they, they've forgotten about the ownership situation. Uh, also worth uh, pointing out, 
uh, with uh, Manchester United um, that um, they, they've obviously won this what, six times now. But most of it has been during the sort of 2000s sort of period. This is sort of a, a later introduction for them. Um, I remember once when they beat, did they beat Wigan 4 Yeah, I was, was at that final. Yeah. David Connolly played in that final. Talk sports, David Connolly. Yeah, yeah. Prior to that final, prior to that final, Crook, and we did a little bit of a sort of like back back um, backtrack here, um, a rewind. Crook took me to one side the year before, the year before that, and said, we don't care about the League Cup. It's the Mickey I'd Mouse. Never oh, said dear. that. Never oh, said dear. that. He did no, say it. No, no, no. <laughs> he did say it. He no. did say it. And I know he said it because, and I can tell you, I can pinpoint when he said it. It was when Chelsea knocked them out at Old Trafford and he'd slid down my corridor on his knees when they went in front and burnt a trail into the carpet of the house that I was renting in South Sea, which was outrageous. It was there for the next year and a half while I was there. And then Chelsea scored two goals and one, two, one, knocked them out. And he said, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse Cup. We're not interested in it. Then the next year they were in the final. And then he also, all of a sudden he started to get excited about it again. And now it's a big trophy and Manchester United fans don't take it for granted. 20 years ago, he was taking it for granted. There's no doubt about the it. The fact I burnt a hole in your carpet, which I believe you had to pay for uh, when you moved out, probably still owe you a tenner for that, suggests that I did take it seriously at the time. Yeah, I don't think so, mate. You, did you not say Mickey Mouse Cup? I, I, I remember you saying it. I, rem- I think I've got a text message. About well, it, until I see it. the evidence, I, I, I won't believe it. Solomon again, who cuts in field onto the right foot. With the goal! Oh, what a brilliant goal! Manuel Solomon with a moment of inspiration, and it's 1-1. The big one at the bottom, 19th against 20th. Lovely ball in field, little flip by Harrison. Furpo shoots! It's in! Leeds, Leeds! He has got to save it. Those are the moments that decide a season. You asked Adrian earlier if Everton were going to make it three home wins in a row. Well, it's not looking like that at the moment. They've got a mountain to climb. Everton nil, Aston Villa two. West Ham four, Nottingham Forest nil. Where's this West Ham been all season? It's a happy trip to the East Midlands for Mikel Arteta. It's finished. Leicester nil, Arsenal one. City though, winning comfortably. And once again, closing the gap to Arsenal to a couple of points. Bournemouth one, Manchester City four. This miserable week for Liverpool. Ends in style, mate. It finishes Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. Tottenham 2, Chelsea nil. Tottenham's first victory over Chelsea in the Premier League since 2018. Heaps more pressure on Graham Potter. Oh, well, it's it's not great, is it, Kev? No, uh, it's it was an atrocious performance, I thought, in some aspects for Chelsea against Tottenham. I thought... They lacked conviction, lacked any kind of belief, lacked any kind of physicality. So sometimes with Chelsea, in years gone by, even when they haven't played well, there's a bit of grit about them. And it was just very, very tepid. And they haven't got any kind of attacking threat. You can see some of the patterns. And there are some good moments of individual plays. Joao Felix had some nice moves. But... It, it, it's not clicking at all. And there doesn't seem to be any genuine confidence there whatsoever. That's understandable because of the run they're on. Oliver Skip's goal is brilliant for Spurs, but the way it came about is atrocious, really, because you've got Kepa spills it, then could easily then claim the ball, but they panic. Enzo Fernandez, who I think in general is playing okay for Chelsea, then whips the ball straight to Skip. He's too strong for Joao Felix. It's just all a bit of a mess. And... 
I do feel for Graham Potter because I think he's trying to do the right things. He's clearly working hard on the training grounds. His reputation's at stake here. I think he's being let down a little bit. Okay, let, let's just, let's sort of try and work out how you sort of deal with this situation because I mean, if you're positive, you can say, "All right, well, they're writing off the steep season now. They're clearly not worried about the Premier League. They're, the pressure's off. They're just going to start learning these patterns, coming up with these scenarios, working out how to shape this team. So next year, they can attack attack the Premier League. If you're the most positive Chelsea fan from the outside looking in, you can sort of make a case for that being what is is going on." Graham Potter accepting the heat's on, third successive defeat, two wins in 15. They've scored three goals in 10 matches in all competitions. Three. Fulham and West Ham have scored more goals. Uh, sorry, Fulham, Palace and West Ham are the goals that they've scored against. Six goals in 15. They've scored at home 13 goals this season. Bournemouth have scored 12. Away, they've scored 10. Leicester have scored 21. Look, look. I know last week Graham Potter said that he had received death threats to his family and it has affected his mental health. So how, as a journalist, do you look at this situation? How do you deal with it? Because you can't not criticise Chelsea for their performances. Statistics tell you that they're obviously not playing well. Do you now, Crook, bearing in mind the information that Graham has, has, has given us, do you now temper your criticism because of the fact that you are feeling that it has an effect on his mental health and the family at large? Or does he have to accept that criticism is going to come when they're playing in the way they are? It's a very difficult balancing act and a moral sort of dilemma, isn't it? Not really. Listen, you know, obviously death threats are overstepping the mark. It's an absolute disgrace, anybody who's gone down that road. But I think as journalists, you know, we, we have to be critical because you've mentioned the statistics, we've seen the performances. I, I don't really understand it because I looked at the Chelsea eleven yesterday and I thought this is a good side. You know, this is a side that is more than capable of going to Tottenham and getting a victory. They never looked like winning that game. One shot on target up until the 70th minute. The goals that Tottenham conceded were, were poor from a defensive perspective. And the moment Graham Potter is a manager who is finding this job too big to handle. And if Abramovich was still there, he'd have been fired three times over. I think he was in charge of any other club in the Premier League, not just in the big six, but any other team in the Premier League. He would have been fired. This is not going to work for Graham Potter. And it's laudable that the owners want to change the way the club is run. They want to stay patient to their project. Sometimes you have to hold your hands up and admit we've made a mistake. And if they don't, I fear for Chelsea. What, why, do you, why are you so sure that it's not going to work? Kevin, can you make a case for it, it, it changing yeah. and things falling yeah, into place? Yeah, I can. Because I think some of the issues that are there now have been there for a long time. Were they scoring? Well, scoring yeah, goals, were they scoring lots of I mean, goals? Scoring under, goals goes about eighteen yeah, 100%, months. Hundred percent, and even when, and you know what a big fan of Thomas Tuchel I am. Uh, you know, I think he's a terrific coach. But even at his height at Chelsea, were they scoring loads of goals? No, he just managed to organise them. They were defending well. They became a very good cup team, and they managed to get through in the Champions League and win it. But in the league, they weren't scoring freely. They don't have a goal poacher who's going to get 15, 20, 25 goals a season. That might come, but it's interesting that they poured all that money into the squad, didn't actually bring in a goal scorer, which is really quite extraordinary. I think with with Potter, he does need time, but it's an almost impossible situation in some ways because what you've got is you've asked a coach who is 
notoriously a project coach who needs time, didn't just click his fingers and it happened at Brighton. That took time. You've asked him to come in with no pre-season. You've given him a load of new players. You've asked him to take over a club in complete flux, change of ownership, change of style, complete change of idea. And you're asking fans to come with the club on that journey. And a lot of them have failed in their duty, I have to say. Not necessarily all the match-going ones. I think there is a, a, a difference and a, a kind of distinction to be made between a lot of the people not, who go I'm to I'm not the sure there is, Kev, having been at the Southampton game. I'm, I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah, sure of course. And of course, yeah, but that's, that is a very extreme example if you think about it, isn't it? Because, you know, if you lose at home to Southampton, that's horrendous, isn't it? But they made chances in nice that Nice of you game. to go to a game, actually, Crook, bearing in mind you're usually a TV <laughs> studio doing But look, this, this is unbelievable. I was saving your backside. <laughs> we said when Potter joined, we felt this wasn't a good fit for, me, for the reason that we're going into now. If this was going to work, it had to be seen as a long-term deal. The fans had to stick with that. And I just don't think a lot of them are. And I, and I just feel like an opportunity is going to be lost here because I think they will probably bid him if it, if it gets worse before it gets better, especially if they go out of that. I know they want to stick with him and I think they should, but I just wonder if that pressure will become intolerable. So, it, yeah. it, it's a laudable idea. Will they see it through? I think they should. I'm not sure they will. Um, there's other sort of scenarios that emerge from this game. Tottenham, obviously, without Antonio Conte, still absent, recuperating in Italy. Um, we know that he's got health and, and illness problems, but it hasn't stopped the chatter that actually there's a bit of a feeling that this is just the beginning of a parting of ways as well which seems to be on the cards. Christian Stellini's actually done quite well since being in charge of, of, of the club. But there are potential suitors apparently circling, offering their, their services uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. Should this situation either continue or they decide to make a change at the end of the season uh, anyway? Um, quick word on the red card, because ZHC's red card was overturned following the involvement of, of VAR. So basically, Stuart Atwell doesn't see it. The assistant draws his attention to it. He sends off... Hakim Ziyech, and then he's told to go over to the monitor and not send him off. And I must admit, I couldn't see the clear and obvious error there. Could you? No, when you when you raise your hand, you're asking for trouble. I know the argument is, well, he didn't mean to catch him in the face. He was trying to push him and momentum made him catch him in the face. I thought it was a red card. You know, I, I was surprised. Um, so yeah, I was surprised I that the decision was overturned, to be honest. I don't understand it. Um and I'd watched the Madrid derby on Saturday night where Ankel Correa had been sent off for an elbow into the chest of Rudiger, which wasn't really as violent as maybe you would, it, it, it sounds, an elbow into the chest. Uh, and also he'd been kicked down the back of the leg by Rudiger uh, just beforehand. And they sent him off straight red card. And I said in commentary during, during that game, would that be a red card in the Premier League? And I thought, well, probably wouldn't actually. It probably would have been a yellow card. Um, but anything above the neck is usually a red card. That's sort of what what we're told. Um, and um, I, I then found out, Guillaume Balaguer told me actually, uh, that there have been 96 red cards in the league over the course of the season and there have been 16 in the Premier League. Now, that suggests to me two things. One, in Spain, they'll give you a red card for anything. And two, it takes a lot for you to get sent off in the Premier League. And somehow, bearing in mind these are supposed to be the two of the five best leagues and probably the two best leagues, 
that's got to come together, hasn't it? Somehow that that that's got that gap's got to be widened because otherwise, discipline wise, we're in a completely different zone. I think there's well, a big issue across all the leagues. Actually, there's a complete there's a complete difference between how VAR is handled from country to country in terms of the bar of how referees get involved, how high that is. That's different. Uh, and uh, we do need some kind of uniformity, but it's going to be very, very different because you've got difficult because you've got different refereeing bodies who have their own view. And that changes whoever's running the ship. Howard Webb's obviously in charge of PGMOL at the moment, but uh, it's a very difficult thing to bring together. But that gap between the number of red cards in La Liga and the ones in the Premier League is absurd, quite frankly. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Bournemouth 1, Manchester City 4. Um, look, Bournemouth, they were never going to beat Manchester City. They never make beat Manchester City. Every time they play Manchester City, they always get absolutely battered, don't they, Crook? Yeah, I think they're the only team they've never beaten in the Premier League um, of the ones that were there when they were last in the top flight. But I, I think credit to Gary O'Neill um, because a lot of managers go up against Manchester City and adopt a defensive approach. He didn't do that. Um, maybe it was to the detriment in terms of the number of goals they conceded, but there are ways to die. Um, and I think this was a positive way to die in a game they were always going to lose. I think they deserve their goal in the second half. And I don't actually think they lost too much in defeat. Uh, the, the problem that Gary O'Neill has got is the next two games, Arsenal away on Saturday and then Liverpool at home in a game I believe you're going to be commentating in a couple of weeks' time. So it's a, it's a tricky mm. run of matches to navigate. But once they've got these out of the way, that tells us there are fixtures they can win. I, I still think Bournemouth have got a puncher's chance of staying up. Interesting. Um, a bit morbid to turn around and say that there are ways to die. Um, I mean, poor old uh, Gary O'Neill. I'm not sure he's thinking in those terms. I'm, I think he'll be a little bit more positive than that. Uh, Manchester City were a little bit more positive, uh, although I did think it was quite interesting how they, uh, they, they tried their best not to score goals during this game. So, for example, the Julian Alvarez goal which was started by a brilliant Rico Lewis tackle in the right fullback position. They, they made that so difficult to put in the net. Uh, Foden trying to, I think, hit three posts and then taught two defenders. It came out to Haaland, who, who blasted it against somebody else, and then it fell to Alvarez. He eventually said, all right, I'll put it in. 
Um, but they, they sort of did that with the Haaland goal as well. And although there were some great moments from Manchester City, they sort of do sometimes make it a little bit hard for themselves. What do you make of uh, De Bruyne being left on the bench again? I think it's a reflection that he's played a lot of football over the past few seasons. And I think Pep Guardiola is, is just managing his game time. I, I've said to you, and you mocked me last week, I, I don't think he's a De Bruyne of old, but everybody has dips in performances. I think he's probably having one at the moment. But you sure it's about performances and not about the fact that he's become quite a influential senior player and Pep has in the past, we know this because he's fallen out with some key senior players at, in Barcelona and, and elsewhere. When it when they become big stars and have a great influence, sometimes he doesn't deal with that particularly well or f- struggles to deal with that well. Is there any suggestion that that could be the case? Maybe, although he doesn't strike me as that type of character. I think I'm right in saying he doesn't even have an agent, um, KDB. I think he negotiated his own contract uh, when he extended uh, a year or two ago. So, no, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that is the problem. But the big beneficiary at the weekend was, was Phil Foden, wasn't he? We, we've been asking all season, uh, will Phil Foden please stand up? And I think he did uh, at the weekend. He was the driving force in that victory. And Pep will be hoping that that is uh, a sign of things to come as, as Manchester City try and chase down Arsenal and try and win that elusive Champions League. OK, Arsenal. They maintain their place at the top of the table with a 1-0 victory away at Leicester City. Um, and I must admit... I thought Arteta did brilliantly here. He mixed things up. They dominated the ball as a result. Trossard played as a nine, played really well in the game. And to do that, when your season is still in the balance, it's poised as much as it is. You know, it's it's not on a knife edge, but key tactical decisions at this stage of the campaign can change the whole narrative of the season, right? And this guy's made a big, brave, intelligent decision at a crucial time and it's come off. That, that deserves to be applauded, I think, from Mikata. 100%. And uh, watching the, the game back on Sunday morning, I, I only wrote two words, and that they were Leandro Trossard. I think he had such an influence. And, you know, for 27 million, I think, you know, with the various add-ons, that's going to prove a bargain because we know what a talented player he is. I thought he was really unlucky with the spectacular strike being ruled out. I, I'm still not convinced there was a foul on Danny Ward. Um didn't he have his arm though? Didn't, didn't didn't Ben White trap his arm? Trap's a strong word, isn't it? You know, it was it was the loose, it was the he loosest grip. It, it was the loosest grip. And if that happened in, you can't do that to a goalkeeper. Expect to but get if that happened in midfield it. and you had a, a defender and a striker competing for a header, I'm not sure it's a foul. I th- Slightly different rules around a goalkeeper, though, isn't there? I mean, traditionally, goalkeepers are really protected, but someone stopping them from using their arms probably legitimises the referee's ability to give a free kick. I thought it was harsh. Um, And, you know, it it was a wonderful strike from Trossard, but he dusted himself down, continued to drive Arsenal forward. To keep a clean sheet against Leicester is no easy feat at the moment. All right, Madison being absent, you know, certainly helped their cause. But I think... You have to be impressed with the way that Arsenal have bounced back from losing at Everton. I think we all suspected maybe that could be the start of some kind of unravelling. It hasn't happened. They play Everton again, live on TalkSport on Wednesday. You'd expect them to win that game. They're in the box seat in terms of the title, no question about it. Yeah, they've been in the box seat for a very long time now. In fact, uh, I think they were top for over 100 30 days or something before they lost their place when they played Manchester City, but they wrestled it back very, very quickly. And that psychologically, I think, has had a big impact on the group, knowing that they can go again, knowing that they've got the powers of recovery. The Aston Villa game that I was at um, last weekend, I believe is probably going to be one of the most pivotal moments 
of the season because winning that match in stoppage time right at the very end and then watching Manchester City drop points uh, at uh, Nottingham Forest could be a seismic day in the title race. Uh, Leicester didn't have one shot on target. Um, Madison, you mentioned him being a major miss. The statistics are interesting, aren't they, right, around him? This guy, when he plays in the team, 38% win percentage. When he's not in the team, 13% win percentage. That may well be a coincidence, but it shows that he has a major influence on the team. And that's going to be a huge problem, I think, come the summer because you, you look at the season Leicester have had, you look at the the, the calibre of clubs who will be pursuing James Madison. Uh, I know they're trying to pin him down to a new contract. I think it's going to be very difficult for Brendan Rodgers to keep hold of his talisman. And the stats don't lie. It's not a coincidence when he's not in the team. They don't pose the same threat. West Ham 4, Nottingham Forest nil. A, I mean... If you go to London Stadium on a regular basis, there's no way you were expecting four goals to be scored, probably ever, uh, from either uh, two teams. But to have four goals scored by West Ham on one afternoon was quite something, Kev. And, and Danny Ings proving his yeah, worth. Yeah, absolutely. He's the kind of striker that can pick up the pieces, that can score scruffy goals. I do think David Moyes struggles to get the best out of centre-forwards on a regular basis. Don't think he knew what to do with Sebastian Allaire. He's never known what to do with Skamaka. But Danny Ings showed that he's a goal poacher and West Ham need that. And once that first one went in, Forrest melted away. West Ham, you could see the confidence grow. And then Declan Rice scores that magnificent goal. So could be a pivotal moment, probably has to be actually, in their season. It's a big step forward. Uh, interesting with Sebastian Alea uh, because uh, it was quite close to the coaching staff at the time, and and they were they, they got on really well with uh, with Seb, and 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 he understood, and they understood that he had been bought by the previous regime, and it, he was bought for a team that played a certain way and they didn't yep. play that way. So they couldn't get him into the game. And that was a disappointment for, for both of them because it, it didn't work as a result of that. So I think everyone's pleased that he has gone on and been a success elsewhere. Uh, and even more so now after the, the recent troubles that he's had with his testicular cancer. I'm delighted for him. Absolutely pleased that he's come back and he's playing top-level football again. Um, the dreadful displayed by Forrest away from home. That is a problem, isn't it? They've only managed three away goals all season, crew. Yeah, and I know you've been bleating on for a while about the fact that Steve Cooper will keep them up. You may well end up being right, but unless they can improve that dreadful away form, I don't think it's a formality. You look at the table, they're in 13th position. Usually that would suggest a degree of safety. They're only four points above the bottom three. And if they keep losing away from home they're going to keep themselves in the scrap for survival uh, did you see Jesse Lingard came on and, uh, and got booed at the weekend by the way I do go back to the summer you and I I think with Danny Murphy White and Jordan you accused me then of being overly harsh on Jesse Lingard I don't think he's got a goal or an assist in the Premier League since has he in fact Scott Minto and I were talking about that very subject at Palace on uh, Saturday night and uh, we were talking about my vindication it, uh, <laughs> Well, not, not not about all the other ones that he's got wrong and, you know, how he called the League Cup a Mickey Mouse Cup 20 years ago, but now it's the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, just the ones that he gets right, he mentions. It's like when he has a, a winning bet on a Saturday afternoon. He only ever tells you about the ones that he uh, he collects from. Um, but, you know, we've not in Forest, even if they don't score any goals away from home, even if they only ever pick up one win away from home all season, if they stay up, they've done a, a particularly good job, yeah. Kevin. So, you know, I, don't, I don't think there's too 
too much that, that, that Steve Cooper can be criticised for, despite the fact that you know, no one likes going away and losing 100%. 4-0. Uh, and you see this a lot with teams that come into the Premier League, home form with the, that excellent crowd at the city ground behind them. They've picked up a lot of points and he's had a lot of new players to deal with. Slowly but surely, he's got that top 14 and 15 that he wants. And they've done remarkably well to be where they are at this stage of the season. I think they will be fine. And I think the home form will get them through. There's no disgrace in that. It takes time to establish yourself at this level. And then that away form will start to come. Uh, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. was a oh, big game on to? Saturday night, live on Talk Sport. Uh, Crookie commentated. Everyone fell asleep, not just because Crookie was commentating, <laughs> um, but because the game was dull as dishwater. Um, oh, dear. I mean, do, do, we, do we go into it? Or do we just sort of ignore it and just sort of brush it under the carpet and go, that was a game that, that doesn't deserve our attention? Oh, that's, a bit, that's a bit unfair. Um, well, what's going on then? Liverpool. Um, we, we've discussed it at length. Now they're not scoring goals as well as... Con- I mean, but I suppose the good thing is they didn't concede any goals, yeah. right? It's conviction. Uh, it's same as Chelsea in many ways. It, it's a lack of conviction, a lack of confidence, a lack of snap in attack. It was only really when Harvey Elliott came on uh, you know, I, I started to create things, started to make things happen in that second half. But even then, you know, they're they're not the same team. And I think part of it's mental fatigue. But you know, you get to this point, and actually, can you blame that anymore? So I think that was it in the first part. I think there was a big hangover from the quadruple season. I think that's plain to see. I think, unfortunately... Oh, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. A big hangover from the quadruple season. They didn't win No, the, the season where they I went for the quadruple. You. And <laughs> That's what I have to cling on to, you see. I have... <laughs> let's, not, let's, not, let's not perpetuate the narrative season. of something that the didn't du- actually happen. <laughs> um, look, I, I think the first part of the season was all about that. I think it was about missing out on the biggest trophies. I think it was about the mental scars of that. I think it was about playing every game it was possible to play in one season. The fact that some players have played non-stop year in, year out for Liverpool. But they can't blame that now. But what's happened is they completely lost their confidence in that spell. And all of the kind of, uh, as they call it in Germany, automatisms, all the kind of of automatic things you'd normally do uh, have just gone. Uh, And it's almost as if they've forgotten how to play their football. And it's going to be really hard to drag them out of it. And if they get top four, I I think that would be really quite amazing from this point, to be honest. I I was watching Chelsea on uh, Sunday and I thought exactly the same thing. They're just off it. Whatever it is, you can't explain it in in one succinct sentence or even explain what it is one particular facet, but it's a variety of things that add up to they are off it. They are just not in the right zone. They are not at the same pace, intensity level as the other teams that have preceded them or the other teams around them. They're just two or three seconds behind Tottenham. They're they're getting to a tackle half a second late. They're getting to a challenge half a second late. They're getting to a a, a through ball is just just a little bit off. It's it's just not right for whatever reason. And and that is a sort of similar fate that has befallen Liverpool as well. Um, Crystal Palace, though, I mean, they'll be delighted to get a a point out of it. You spoke to Patrick Vieira afterwards. Was he in a fine fettle? Better? Yeah, he was pleased. I mean, I think it's only, uh, well, it's no wins in nine now. Um, but it will mm. feel like a, a step in the right direction. 
they've got problems in, in terms of scoring goals. Mateta has had a couple of great opportunities. The first one, Allison's done quite well to come out and narrow the angle. The second from six yards after another catastrophe from Trent Alexander-Arnold. He has to score. I thought Elise was outstanding, uh, but too often he, he found himself all alone. You know, he's one of those who can gobble up the, the yardage. He carries the ball really well, but then he looks around him and he's got no Crystal Palace player within 30 yards. So it is a problem, but yeah. I think they'll grind out enough results to, to keep themselves above the safety line. In terms of Liverpool, Klopp said something very interesting to me afterwards. He said, we know this is not going to go down in history as our best ever season, but we simply have to make the best of it. So I think he knows that they're off the pace as well. Yeah, and he, he sort of said the reason he signed a, a, a new long-term contract was because he knew it was going to be difficult this season for, for a variety of different reasons and he wants to be part of the rebuild. I mentioned to you privately that I think the idea of this situation where we sack managers when they have a little bit of a dip is, 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 is gone now. If you're a big club, you need a big personality in charge, a manager who everybody knows is the boss and that is responsible for building teams and has the resources to do so. It's too expensive to keep chopping and changing managers every single year, getting their new players and getting players for this manager, getting, then 12 months later getting players for a new manager. The players and their transfer fees, their wages have gone through the roof over mm. the course of the last two or three years. As a result of that, there's, there's, there's just no way you can constantly churn over yeah. managers and churn over playing staff. You just cannot do it. So the idea now is you have a technical director, you recruit decent players, you have a manager who has a vision, you recruit for him, and over time, you go like that. There will be a little bit of um, a dip every now and again. And Ten Hag will go through a dip at some stage over the next couple of years. You have to just ride it out, start again, rebuild, go again. That's what you're going to have to do because otherwise it's just going to cost far too much money and people are going to be reluctant to do that. And if you can keep chopping and changing managers, you end up in the situation that some of uh, you know the clubs that have really struggled towards the bottom of the end of the table have got themselves But this is into. also to do with the concentration of quality at the top of the Premier League because you've got the best coaches, yeah. the best players... And you've yeah. only got four spots for the Champions League. Can't all get in there. Yeah. And so you... Kev, I said to uh, Crook last week, and he sort of tried to mock me for it, but the, uh, the truth is, is I believe now that the Premier League, if you're, in, if you're in Europe in the Premier League, you should win every game, right? So if you're a Premier League team that qualifies for Europe, you're good enough to get into the Premier League's top six. Yeah. That's the first thing, right? That's how good you are. You then get to Europe. You're better than every other team in Europe because you've got more resources. Those top six have got more resources than any other team in Europe, apart from maybe Real Madrid and Barcelona. So if you lose to anybody else over two legs, other than Real Madrid or Barcelona, you're actually, maybe Bayern Munich yeah. as well, you can sort of throw into that. Um, you are. You're, it's a dereliction of duty. You, you, you have underperformed because... The top six in England should be better than everybody else because of the resource, the quality of coaches, the quality of players that are at their disposal. It's certainly heading that way. Uh, I, I think there are still, as you say, Bayern is still a big hitter. Paris, if they could ever get their act together tactically and in terms of the balance of that team, should be a big hitter. Um, and, you know, what you've got is a situation where you've got teams in good form like Dortmund who could take advantage of a team like Chelsea who are really, really struggling. But you're right. Generally, mm. that top six right now, uh, top six, seven teams, the, the concentration of players and coaches is really quite extraordinary. So Arsenal had to take their medicine and that they failed to qualify for Europe entirely at one stage. Uh, United have had to take theirs and now they're back. Liverpool and Chelsea are going through the Sorry, same Sorry, just thing. say that again, Kev. Cut out. 
Manchester United are doing very well at the moment, but they weren't before. I think Liverpool no, no, are no, no, no. The bit about their medicine. They're back. I like that. Can we can temporarily we that? maybe? You know, they're they're at the top of their cycle right now with the League Cup. Well done to them. Um, uh, so we'll see how that goes. What what did you call that trophy again? Yeah, how patronising was that from Mr. Hatcher? By the way, <laughs> only for you. There. It was for part of the, the quadruple, Manchester- wasn't it? Was it part of the for all the other Manchester United fans? Ignore that. That was just for Crookie, by the way. Look, I I, I think yeah. it happens. I think that's what makes it fascinating because you've got teams that now are having to work so so hard just to be in that Champions League set. And now you've got teams like Newcastle in the mix and it's going to get harder. So I think Sam's absolutely right. I think clubs are going to have to look at it and think, right, we're going to have to take our medicine some seasons and we can't just panic when it goes wrong. Uh, Everton nil, Aston Villa two. Uh, Everton in trouble uh, at home. I think they were, again, they had chances, but just didn't take them. Oh, fuck, I mean, Crikey. How many how many teams are we, are we sort of suggesting cannot score goals? And it makes you think, actually, is it to do with the forwards or the defending? Oh, Eddie Howe said yesterday after the cup final, you know, it, it's about both boxes. And, and certainly Everton in both boxes are, are bad. Uh, Fulham won, Wolves won. It's actually quite a good game, actually. I enjoyed the Fulham won, uh, Wolves won. Did you? Um, mm. Yeah, on Friday night. Yeah, a good Friday night. I was making a... Tell you what I was making. You would love this. This is this, this got right vegan in it. Street. I'm out. It was a vegan aubergine and tomato pasta. You would have loved it. Oh, it's like prison food. <laughs> from, from all your time in prison, uh, there. That, that, that's the experience. I you're think calling he's just upon. projecting his I future. See, I see. Popular commentator Alex Craig um, jailed uh, for seven years today. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, for impersonating Eric Ten Hag. Um, <laughs> Uh, Leeds won Southampton nil. Uh, great result for Leeds and for Javi Grazia, who uh, is in the dugout, was in the dugout, and uh, helped them to overcome Southampton by a goal to nil. Southampton looked doomed, I think, as a result of that. Uh, Leeds United certainly have given themselves a fighter's chance to stay in the Premier League. Crook, please, can you do me a favour? If Manchester United get to the next round of the FA Cup, so that's this week, and the next round of the Europa League, Will you at least turn up to the podcast that we do on a Monday, where you, we're in vision, right? Um, with the, the facial hair of Eric Ten Hag, a roll neck, and a white swimming cap, <laughs> just so we could yeah. see what it might look okay. like. Okay, if they beat West Ham, I will do that for you. That's the Brilliant. next stage. Okay. Uh, I, I, am, I am definitely looking forward to it. And then after that, we can sort of convince you that shaving it is the way forward. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> great stuff Kev thank you very much for giving us your time this morning appreciate that um, remember the Game Day podcast is available from all your favourite podcast uh, outlets also available on YouTube on a Monday afternoon you can uh, watch the podcast in all its glory you can see Crook's attempt at sort of a mini Ten Hag uh, wardrobe change and um, then on Thursday we'll have another review of the midweek action and a look forward to the Premier League stuff uh, from the weekend as well thanks for joining us uh, remember, there's live games on TalkSport Tuesday and Wednesday night this week and on TalkSport too. too. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on TalkSport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.